Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. I'm Tim Wildman. With Ed Battagliano. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Tim. And Fred Jackson. Good morning, sir. All right. We have got a lot to uh, talk about this hour. Got some very special guests. Uh, but, Ed, from 11 to 11.30 today, or 11.05 to 11.30, we're going to be airing a special, right? Yes. Uh, a truth and, and I'm for talking youth. Central Time here. Yes. Yeah. A Truth for Youth special with evangelist Tim Todd. As folks are probably aware, if they've been listening this week, this is Truth for Youth Week, where we're encouraging youth through uh, Revival Fires Ministries International to uh, get a copy of the New Testament to your high schooler, if it is your child or your grandchild, a free copy of the New Testament. And uh, if you promise to give it to an unsaved uh schoolmate, classmate, whatever they're calling them nowadays. So that special will be from 11.05 to 11.30 with Tim Todd. So we look forward to that. Absolutely. But we do have this 55 minutes with you live. Well, a gentleman I've seen uh, interviewed on Fox News and recently with our good friend Matt Staver from the Liberty Council uh, concerning the uh, COVID situation in our country is uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. And he is an internist, a cardiologist, an epidemiologist, and a professor of medicine at Texas Christian University and University of North Texas Health Sciences Center School of Medicine. I don't know what that acronym is, but it takes every every letter of the, every letter of the alphabet. But uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, needless to say, is uh, an expert in this area, and he joins us now from uh, Texas. Good morning, Dr. McCullough. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, sir. I'm Tim, and uh, Ed and Fred are here with me as well. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, by the way, did I get they, I, I get everything right there in describing your profession? Yeah, that's correct. I'm a board-certified internist and cardiologist. I'm in uh, an academic medical center in Dallas, Texas. I'm currently under a lawsuit, actually, by uh, uh, two uh, previously affiliated. Uh, entity. So we have to be really careful on these introductions. Uh, the degree of um, reprisal and censorship for academic doctors reviewing the data now on COVID-19 is extraordinary. Wow. Okay. You, you're being sued because of what you've been saying? Well, I um, am uh, in private practice currently. My office is in Baylor University Medical Center building. I'm on staff at Baylor Heart and Vascular Hospital and Baylor University Medical Center. In fact, I'm after this, I got to go in actually to the coronary care unit. So I'm actively practicing, but I previously uh, was employed by Baylor Scott and White Health System, and I signed a separation agreement February 25th. In fact, my employment was ended because I was, in my view, treating COVID-19 patients and trying to help them. So I moved to a private practice, and I agreed to a settlement agreement. And what Baylor Scott and White is claiming in a lawsuit, uh, which they announced to the press two weeks ago, is that I'm falsely representing Baylor Scott and White's views uh, and falsely claiming prior titles that were held with Baylor Scott and White. And I personally have held higher titles when I was with Ascension Health prior to Baylor. 
And so through this entire time, I have never once stated that my views uh, are anyone's other than myself. And my words have never used prior administrative titles with Baylor Scott and White Health System. What happened was uh, media organizations would either read an intro like you did, or they would actually take an old profile and put it up there post-production. They were actually taking a profile when I was the endowed lecturer at Harvard a couple years ago. So actually using an old profile, which stated my old Baylor title. So that's the genesis of this lawsuit, which uh, my team believes is what's called a strategic lawsuit against public participation. Baylor Scott and White Health System is actually trying to prevent me from opining as an expert on a topic of public interest. Well, that's happening to other colleagues of yours in your profession <laughs> as well as we've seen it. I saw a gentleman a couple of days ago, uh, a physician giving an opinion on treatment of COVID and, and, uh, YouTube took him down, right. Uh, took, took, took the video down that kind of, uh, I told my wife, I said, Man, I feel like we're in communist China here. Can't, right. we can't, can't even have a, a discussion. Uh, well, Go ahead. Well, listen, listen, you know, taking down a YouTube video or Twitter, that's pretty mild. What uh, Baylor Scott and White Health System announced to the uh, newspapers in Dallas before I was even had any, any legal document review is that they're suing me for a million dollars plus damages. They're trying to financially ruin me. My wife is terrified. We're, my wife and I are actually big donors to the Baylor Scott and White Health System Foundation. So the donors are furious. Uh, you know, I have an endowed scholarship in my name at Baylor University where I went to school. So you know, Dr. McCullough and Baylor are intertwined, and for them to launch a lawsuit based on affiliation claims in the media is, is honestly, it really is an attempt on censorship. It is a strategic lawsuit against public participation. That's illegal. It's illegal, and Americans should realize this, that right now we need our top academic, academic doctors to help guide Americans through the pandemic, the last thing we need to do is try to silence them. Dr. McCullough, what do you, uh, what, what is so controversial about what you are uh, trying to get out to the public? You know, I'm just citing the data. So the published studies are the published studies. Uh, I'm not claiming any controversy around them. I'm pinpointing. Yeah, I was using co- controversy in quotations. I don't consider yeah. what you say to be controversial, but, uh, Evidently, uh, some do. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah. Uh, again, we're talking talking to Dr. Peter McCullough about uh, what's happening. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not a medical person. Um, I, uh, I have been very interested, like most Americans, as the development of awareness over COVID uh, has come. You know, the last eighteen months. I want to know what the science says. You're talking about published studies. Let's let's start with um, the uh, the vaccines. Uh, people are talking about getting vaccines, not getting vaccines. Do you have any any guidance from the studies as to what people should be understanding when they hear Dr. Fauci speak or uh, other people speak? We're we're confused out here. Okay, did we lose him? Yeah, I thought I thought I heard the line drop. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that was a great question. Well, you want to go ahead and give medical advice, Ed? <laughs> no. While, you, while you're on the spot? In fact, we've Fred been, and I are all ears. Yeah, we, we've, been, we've been telling our, our uh, AFR hosts 
please do not dispense medical unless unless you are a doctor don't give medical advice but i i just wanted to ask the, the question to dr mccullough because i'm frankly confused i mean i've had covid coming up on a year ago my wife and i both had covid we got the vaccines in march i hear things fred we've talked we've had conversations that studies out from Israel and other places, uh, some uh, nations in Europe, that if you had COVID and then got a vaccine, you're actually worse off with the variants. You yeah. know, so yeah. well, we had the president of the United States tell Americans just a few weeks ago that the current situation. Okay, he's back. All Excuse right. me, go Fred. Ahead. Yeah, the, go ahead. The Dr. McCullough is more important. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but my phone is actually blowing up with more calls. <laughs> COVID-19 okay. patients who've had the vaccine. But let me just answer the, the quick question. We knew coming out of the clinical trials in the fall, the vaccines looked pretty good. All of them did. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna were ahead about 90% vaccine efficacy from the randomized trials. Johnson & Johnson, about 70% vaccine e efficacy. Uh, but we knew that the rates of COVID were less than 1%, even in placebo. So we knew from the trials that patients who got vaccinated were not being confronted with COVID. This is very important. So there was no real challenge to the vaccine. So patients were going around, they got the vaccine, but it didn't matter because they weren't coming in contact with COVID. So the vaccines were launched under the emergency use authorization. And um, about 70% of patients in my practice volunteered for the vaccine. I didn't encourage it or discourage it. Um, they took the vaccine. So about 70% of, of medical practices, uh, in fact, in Texas right now, we have 77% of seniors that have taken the vaccine. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, what we learned is by January 22nd, there was excess mortality due to these vaccines that we didn't expect. And then by March, we were full into a problem with people dying after the vaccine. And it's really taken off from there. So as we sit here today, we have, the CDC has told America that there's been 545,337 verified injuries due to the vaccine. You know, that's more than a half a million Americans. We have over 200,000 Americans that have either died, been hospitalized, or had urgent care office visits after the vaccine. And separately, analyses from uh, McLaughlin and Rose using the data have shown that 50% of these deaths occur within 48 hours of the vaccine, 80% occur within a week, 86% have no other explanation. Americans are terrified of dying after the vaccine. Uh, we have a lawsuit that was launched two weeks ago using CMS data, uh, estimating from uh, Medicare and Medicaid, which is a different database than the, the CDC database, that there could be as many as 45,000 Americans that have died after the vaccine. Separately, in Australia, for instance, on a week where they had one COVID death, they had over 300 vaccine deaths. And this is seen all over the world now. It looks like the vaccine uh, is uh, really, from a safety perspective, for many individuals, it's grossly unsafe. Dr. McCall, it's, it's Fred here. Is the CDC aware of the figures that you just gave us? Because I'm not the hearing CDC, those figures from the CDC. Well, the CDC is producing those figures on the website. So when Americans get the FAQ sheet with the vaccination or the consent form, they're told, go to the VAERS website, go to Vaccine Universe Event Reporting System website and look for yourself. The CDC keeps telling doctors, look on the VAERS website. What the CDC and the FDA, who are the sponsors of the research program, what they have not done is they have not done safety press briefings. We should have had weekly briefings to Americans starting from the beginning 
on safety because these were brand new vaccines. They were brand new technologies. They were genetic transfer technologies with what we consider a dangerous mechanism of action. We are going to introduce the body to the dangerous spike protein of the virus. We should have had weekly press briefings letting us know about safety. Who was going to have problems? Who wasn't? Is it diabetics? Is it the older people, the obese people with blood disorders? Is it people who have previously had the infection who really shouldn't be taking the vaccine? Are those the ones being injured? To this day, the CDC and FDA have not had a single press briefing, and they haven't issued a single report on comprehensive safety. All we've had is the FDA in the background give out warnings. So the FDA officially has warned on young people for Pfizer and Moderna causing heart inflammation heart inflammation. The CDC has now told us this has happened in thousands of young people where there's heart inflammation and heart damage called myocarditis. The uh, FDA has also warned us on J&J on blood clots in women age 18 to 48 in the brain and other sensitive organs, and as well as paralysis called Guillain-Barre syndrome ascending from the limbs on up. Separately, the Canadian authorities just put out a warning on the vaccines for uh, Bell's palsy or paralysis of the face. So we have the regulatory agencies kind of telling us, listen, we got warnings out here, but we have not had any transparency broadly to Americans on safety. Where our guest is Dr. Peter McCullough, who's an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist. And I want to make sure I say this correctly, uh, Dr. Professor of Medicine at Texas Christian University and the University of yeah. North Texas Health Sciences Center School of Medicine. Is that right? That's right. I hold, right. I hold a professorship there at this moment. You know, I previously held a professorship at Texas A&M College of Medicine. In fact, I'm at both universities. I would be the most broadly published and recognized doctor at both universities. But Texas A&M has delisted me as a professor the same week that Baylor Scott and Lloyd uh, uh, launched their lawsuit against me for uh, participation in public uh, discussions like this on the science. Of what, okay. what, are, what are the, Dr. McCullough, this is Tim. What I've never seen, well, I can't remember a time in American history when I've seen so much uh, censorship and denouncing and re- repudiation of people like yourself who have uh, expertise in an area. And it's like people don't even uh, the, the, want to hear it. It's like you're, what, what is going on here? Americans should recognize that no two doctors agree on anything. That's the reason why we work in teams. We go on rounds together. It's always a team decision. Americans should be seeing teams of doctors making decisions on TV, not single doctors issuing their opinions, but teams of doctors. Uh, we face other problems. Listen, we face uh, smoking and lung cancer. We had teams of doctors. We had a vigorous debate. We uh, faced uh, heart disease, and we've always had teams of doctors, and we've worked our way through it. In, in the history of America, even polio, we've had teams of doctors, and we've had healthy scientific debate because no two people agree, and we're trying to get to the truth. This is the first time in American history where we are specifically censoring some doctors from rendering their opinions, particularly those like me who are citing the data. I am citing the data, and I am specifically being censored for my intentions of trying to help Americans interpret the available data. All right, Dr. McCullough, so uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. So I hear what you're saying. I want to put my tinfoil hat on. (laughs) 
because I want to ask you the, the million-dollar question. Why? The first time in American history we are censoring people who disagree with the public or have a different explanation opinion. or have a, have a different opinion on what is happening and what we should do about it. In your opinion, and we understand it is just your opinion. You can't read minds. You can't look into people's hearts. Why? Why, why is this censorship going on? Why are Americans not hearing what you have been saying about uh, some of the possible deleterious uh, side effects of the vaccine? Why? You know, if we were talking about someone's personal life or we were talking about um, something that uh, was uh, considered not of public importance, uh, believe it or not, people can can silence each other through the law. And there are ways of doing this where they want their private lives kept private. But COVID-19, I think everyone would consider this. This is a public problem. It's a public health problem. And in fact, now more than ever, we need a fair exchange of ideas and different opinions. And um, the idea that there could be broad censorship of opinions uh, was put out uh, very early on in the open. It's called the Trusted News Initiative. This was uh, uh, basically put out in early December, and the British broadcasting pub uh, uh, company put it out. It said it was going to work with all major and social media to openly censor information, and the goal was to promote mass vaccination, and the goal was to suppress vaccine hesitancy. And they explicitly said, and later on, YouTube, Twitter, and others explicitly said that they will crush any information on early treatment or vaccine safety in order to blindly promote mass vaccination at all costs. This is called the Trusted News Initiative. This is in the open. This is completely in the open. Americans should go type this in, Trusted News Initiative, and read it. So for the first time, we have wide open censorship. So doctors like myself, Honestly, we're not too surprised when you say if somebody got canceled off of YouTube. If they mention treatment of a patient for COVID-19, they can expect to be censored. That means Americans who are desperate and sick can also expect to not get any information on treatment. But, but Dr. McCullough, you're, you're, you're telling us how they're doing it. I want to know why. why. I mean, we got nations in Europe. We have the United States, Canada. All, everybody's in on this approach I don't, I don't understand why. I mean, that's why people say, is this all about money from big pharma? I mean, why would they engage in this censorship? What is the end game here? Why, why promote the mass vaccinations as if it is the answer when they know it's not? Or when at least there may be suspicions that it's not. I'm not trying to get you in any more trouble that you, than you're obviously in. But you just explain how. I, I still want to know why they're doing this. Well, you know, we can just look at it at face value. The Trusted News Initiative has basically announced, the media has announced that the favored approach is mass vaccination to the expense of anything else. So they've already announced it. And I think Americans would recognize that when they see any information on the major media and from our government agencies, it's only about the vaccine. It's only about the vaccine. So it's clear that stakeholders have declared that the only approach is about vaccination. It's interesting because in the United States, we have three vaccines, 
And my patients ask me, doctor, which one's the best right now? Which one's failing? Which one's holding out good? Which one's safest? We don't even hear any differential. We just call it the vaccine. They're very different, by the way. I commented about the Olympics, and people said, well, what do you, what do you think about the vaccine? I said, what do you mean, the vaccine? If they come from Russia, they're getting Sputnik. If they come from India and Asia, they're getting Sinovac. If they're coming from uh, South America, they're getting Sinovac. But in, in uh, South Africa and the UK, they could get AstraZeneca or Pfizer Moderna in the United States. Or, and so the idea, it isn't the vaccine. There's a whole group of vaccines. But the approach appears to be pre-declared that the only approach to this problem is mass vaccination. And, and everyone listening to this call should understand the vaccine isn't treatment. The vaccine doesn't help a sick person right now. So by declaring that the vaccine is the only approach, the stakeholders are also declaring that they have no interest and no desire to help sick patients right now. Um, we're talking to Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you have five more minutes with us, doctor? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, I have, uh, maybe there are a lot of people in my situation. Um, I'm 58. Uh, I, uh, my wife had COVID back in January. I quarantined with her hoping to get COVID and I didn't disappointed when I went back eight days later and they said, no, you're negative. Cause I thought I'm going to sit home for eight days. I might as well be sick. Right. I'm teasing here. I'm joking. I shouldn't be joking about this, but what I'm saying is, that uh, I, I didn't I didn't get it, or at least I didn't think I get it. So now I go back a week ago because I'm considering getting a vaccine. People don't throw things at the radio at me, right? But I was I was considering it because I was hearing about other people my age getting sick. Some even having to go to the hospital. Not some one or two that I knew. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should get the vaccine. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll explore my options here. So I said, well, I'm going to go get a uh, antibodies test. So I went and got an antibodies test, and sure enough, they said, you had COVID. Well, I never knew it. I right. was asymptomatic, uh, but I have antibodies. So my question, I guess, is uh, with my natural antibodies, am I, am I as safe as I can be uh, at this point? Yeah, the answer is you're as safe as you can be. So the analyses, one is by Merchu and colleagues that involved 11 studies, 650,000 individuals, someone like you would have way, way less than a 1% chance of ever getting COVID, separately a separate study from Denmark. Again, you have what's called an ill-defined case where it wasn't nailed down. Uh, there's still less than a 1% chance you'd ever get COVID. In a case like me, I had it. I was sick. I had a positive test. You know, I have a really well-defined case. My chances are effectively zero. There's never been a case where someone had a well-defined case and then separately, 90 days later, had a second confirmed case. And I mean confirmed, I mean you know, PCR, antigen sequencing, because we know the nasal test can be intermittently positive for a long time. In fact, there's false positive all the time. So all the claims that you can get COVID over and over again are not substantiated. And every, Americans know this. I mean, if you could really get COVID multiple times, grandmother would have been in the, in the ICU five times in the last year. It, it's a one and done thing. It basically swept through the nursing homes early on. If you know, we haven't had any more nursing home outbreaks because it's basically done. So you can't get COVID a second time. There's been a paper by Kavanaugh and colleagues published in the CDC journal, the MMWR, that claims out of 500,000 people in Kentucky, that they had 246 uh, reinfections of someone 
And it, all it was was just a, a false positive PCR test on one occasion or another. They'd never defined anybody being sick at either time. And I think what Americans need to know is you cannot get COVID twice. The natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable. The FDA and the vaccine companies knew this. They excluded people like you and me from the randomized trials. Even if you had positive antibodies, they know the vaccine can't help you. So you, if we follow the regulatory science, someone like you never would have been even in the randomized trials. We would have no idea if the vaccine is safe in you because you weren't included in the studies. So now if you walk in and get a vaccine and you were considering it, are you going to be the person who dies in a couple of days? You're going to be the person who has myocarditis or heart inflammation or the neurologic injuries. We're seeing all different forms of blindness, facial paralysis, spinal cord paralysis, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Are you going to be one of those people because you've already had the, the virus and now we're going to juice you up with the spike protein and the genetic transfer of from the vaccine? Uh, that would be a no. How hazardous this is. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking to Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you, do you, Fred, do you have a final question for the doctor? And by the way, where can people read what you're talking to us about today? Is that available somewhere on the Internet? Well, for treatment, I think the best place to go now is called Truth for Health Foundation. Truth for Health Foundation, they have the early treatment guide. Uh, another great source is the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. They have a treatment guide listed treating doctors. Also for treatment, Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net, and American Frontline Doctors, aflds.net. Americans should have plenty of access to treatment. If you want to find out about my work, in, and I understand I have over 45 publications on this, I'm working with great people outside the United States because you know this is a worldwide problem. And one of the things you will never see our people in the media or our officials doing is having any collaboration outside the United States as if the world doesn't exist outside the U.S. right now. Um, you can go to America Out Loud, the McCullough Report, America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report, and I interview the world's experts uh, once a week, and you can follow me there. Get that again. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. Do you have a question, Fred? Just very quick. If someone was to walk into your office today, Dr. McCullough, and you diagnose them with having COVID, what are the kinds of things? Do you suggest a medication, a prescription of some type? What, what do you, and I know there are many different cases levels, but let's say you diagnose me with COVID. Well, what would you suggest? Well, individuals below 50, eight years of age, no medical problems, have way less than a 1% chance of being hospitalized or dying. And so we don't recommend treatment for those under age 50 with no medical problems, kids and others. They just ride through it. We recommend a helpful nutraceutical bundle of zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, quercetin, keep fluids and hydration, they'll be fine. Now, if a young person under age 50 has medical problems or they present with severe symptoms, then they move over to the treatment category. So everybody over age 50 who or has medical problems should get treatment. High-risk seniors should get the monoclonal antibody infusion. They should get the Regeneron antibodies. They're available at uh, urgent care centers and at hospitals, and they should demand it. Uh, you know, you, go, you turn TV, again, the major media is only promoting the vaccine. They will never promote the FDA emergency use authorized monoclonal antibodies, never. So American seniors are blocked from any information on receiving these life-saving antibodies, and they really do work. President Trump received them. Americans should be outraged that our CDC and FDA and our major media are not featuring these. People are getting sick right now with COVID-19 and they're being blinded 
to the 500,000 doses that have been pre-purchased by the U.S. government. They're sitting on the shelves unused. So seniors demand monoclonal antibodies if you have severe symptoms. These are available. It's a simple phone call by the doctor. Beyond that, we work with drugs in combination to reduce the replication of the virus early. So we can use hydroxychloroquine, supported by 200 studies, ivermectin, supported by 60 studies. We combine it with doxycycline, azithromycin, mild antibiotics, inhaled budesonide, supported by two uh, randomized trials, that's Pomacort, uh, oral steroids, prednisone, easy one to prescribe, supported by a dozen or more studies now uh, in meta-analyses. We use colchicine, supported by the largest, best-done randomized trial in all of COVID-19, colchicine, a simple tablet a day, and then aspirin, 325 milligrams uh, every day, at least for a month, seniors extended to 90 days because of the risk of blood clotting and stroke. And then high-risk seniors, Lovenox, injectable Lovenox. I use this every day in my practice. We use it after hip surgeries. It takes about four to six drugs to treat viral replication, cytokine storm, and thrombosis. And if the local doctors can't do it, go quickly to these national centers and sites and get uh, medications uh, called in. Thousands of patients are being treated every day through these national services. We're keeping the hospitals empty, um, markedly reducing hospitalization and death. Two studies, one by Proctor, one by Zelenko, show early treatment reduces hospitalization and death by 85%. You can shorten the duration of viral uh, spreading, by the way, from two weeks down to four days with early treatment. Uh, doctor, one, one, we keep having one more question. <laughs> so we, you, as long as you're not going to hang up on us, I guess we've got <laughs> another question. I have another question. This is Tim. Oh, by the way, folks, you're listening to American Family Radio. Uh, we postponed our break here because uh, we have Dr. McCullough. Don't want to interrupt our interview with him on these on the COVID response. Uh, Ed Battagliano with Fred Jackson. Uh, the variant, the uh, Delta variant that's going around the country. Uh, for the layman out there, they they wonder, uh, like me, they wonder: Is this different than the COVID nineteen that you know that hit us a year ago? And now this is something different, and uh, it's called a variant, right? So, I mean, how do we, is this going to, first of all, is the variant uh, that much different than the COVID-19? And then uh, do my antibodies protect me against that? Well, we've always had variants. In fact, you could have had the Delta variant several months ago. I, I could have had it. We've always had a blend of like 14 variants in the background. What's happened is by vaccination, we've allowed one of the variants to emerge as a super dominant variant. And this one's the Delta variant. It came out of India because they started vaccinating there in some states with the Sinovac vaccine, and that's what sprung it loose. But once the Delta variant, which is now nearly 100% of U.S. cases, so you might as well expect it's 100% of U.S. cases now, it's one of the most heavily mutated forms of SARS CoV 2. There's seven mutations in the spike protein in the UK technical briefing that just came out August 6th, they indicate there's 20 additional mutations there. And what you need to know is Delta variant equally affects those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. Our CDC director has come out on TV a few days ago and told us that vaccinated people get Delta and they carry it and they transmit it to other vaccinated people or unvaccinated people. It's one of the reasons why you hear about so much that vaccinated people are carrying it and transmitting it. And that the Delta variant, fortunately, is far less fatal. Now, early treatment is a big determinant of uh, survival or not, 
But the UK data suggests those who are sick enough to go to an ER, that the chances of ever dying of Delta are way, way less than 1%. And they're just a fraction of the death rate they used to, they were with the uh, UK variant or the original alpha variant. So Delta is the mildest of all the variants. It's easily treatable. I'm treating it in my practice. Right now, my practice is probably 60% unvaccinated, 40% vaccinated, kind of matches a general percentage in the population. But we see complete vaccine failure now, wholesale failure in Israel, in Singapore, and Iceland, where they keep good track of things, where way more than 75% of people with COVID-19, the Delta variant, in fact, have been fully vaccinated. So the vaccines are failing against the Delta Should kids be wearing face masks at school? No, public masking doesn't work. Uh, there's been 12 randomized trials showing that, including the Dan mask trial. But what we should have at school, the vaccines are not appropriate for the children uh, because, uh, again, they won't protect against Delta anyway, and they're associated with really damaging side effects that don't make it worth it in children. But the reason why it's important to also get rid of the masks is because, uh, again, they don't um, stop the transmission. But what we should have is we should have sick kid policies. We should never have a sick kid go to school. We need to have flexible policies for parents to be able to stay home, stay home if they have a sick kid. And if a kid does get sick at school, we need a way of getting them out of there quickly. And we should have the same thing at major employers as well. So instead of focusing on masks and vaccines for employers and schools, which, which neither one of them work at this point in time or are safe, we should be focusing on reasonable policies of not showing up to work sick, and then we could move forward. All right, Dr. Peter McCullough has been our guest. Uh, We appreciate it, sir, and can we check in with you again in the future? Sure, I'd be delighted. Okay, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Wow. Uh, Well, I'm outraged. About what? I use that word a lot, but this – I have no reason to disbelieve what Dr. McCullough just said. If what he is saying about the federal government – withholding this information. I mean, I had heard things and read some things about the vaccine, but a lot of it got shut out. And what he's saying about the vaccine with these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of possible cases of, uh, I'd I'd read about the paralysis and some of this stuff and the myocarditis, but it, I I, I still do not have an explanation for why the government is doing this. did, Did he actually say withhold no, no, no. Here's what he said. That's why I asked him. I said, he just gave us a bunch of figures. I said, where, where did that come from? He says it comes from the CDC website. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, just, just to, uh, I know it's semantic, okay. I know it's semantics, it's but, but it's important. I, 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 would, I would say he, he, what he was saying was they're not emphasizing. They're not uh, giving press briefings okay, on that, that, you're right. on that data. That is, that is, a they're not telling the difference. public about the data that they have published on their website. But what I guess what I guess the point I make that that's a good point and we need to be accurate is that they are pushing vaccines when the data seems to indicate that they should uh, at least have an open discussion about the dangers. They it seems to me they don't want to have this open discussion about the dangers the dangers with the data on their own websites because that will stop Yes, the the vaccination and, program, and, and yes, and when do you ever hear any of these public health officials? Uh, well, very few of them talking about treatment. Yes, right. Talking about talking about uh, things you can do once you get sick. Yes, uh, other than get a shot. I can. Uh, here's here's see. This is why the tinfoil hat comment came yeah. on. 
if you are pushing the vaccination, what you don't want to say is that if you get COVID, we have treatments that'll maybe not everybody will sail through it, but the vast majority of people will do just fine with the treatment. Yeah. But, but people aren't going to take the vaccine if you do that. And I'm sitting here thinking, I still don't know. Why would the government want to push these vaccines as the only solution? Is that, is that, well, I, I, I mean, this is just speculation opinion, but I believe there is an agenda and it goes outside the United States border. I believe there's an agenda by governments today to control the population. And, and we've talked about this before. It, fear is a great controlling element. You make people afraid. And now what's being demonized. And they'll give up their freedoms. And they'll give up their freedom. Joe Biden, a few weeks ago, saying we now have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So what was he saying? You should demonize the people who are refusing to get vaccinated demonize them yeah and now you have companies united airlines and others saying so you came at, we're firing you, you we're gonna, make, we're, you gonna make, yeah. we're gonna cut off your ability to make a living because yeah. you don't get an experimental okay. I, I, uh, experimental shot i understand what you guys are saying yeah. i'm not saying i don't believe it i just yeah. want to know what the end game is i mean it, what, what what is what is your goal here in making people afraid and forcing them to get vaccinated you are you saying this is a trial run for for uh, for more severe control efforts, you see what I'm saying? Why why try to go through this whole thing of a vaccine is not going to give you control of the people unless you are priming the pump for something else. It's not the vaccine; it's the fear. It's the fear factor. Believe in us, the government is saying, and you'll be okay. And, and also to demonize a group of people. I remember there was a survey that came out just a few weeks ago. Who did they identify of those, the, the group most resistant to getting the vaccine? Oh, yeah. Evangelicals. Right. I, I, I'm just, I'm afraid we're living in a day and age where that kind of, I'm going to say it, demonic spirit is out there. And I, and I, I just think there is, there's something spiritual behind all of this. That's my opinion. Well, there's got to be there's got to be some you reason. You talking to Allison? <laughs> Your, Your wife. wife. My wife. <laughs> there's huh? got to be some reason for this. I got a daily dose of what Fred just said. If, if the government wasn't spending monopoly money like crazy anyway, I would think well, it must be big pharma paying people off. <clears throat> but Washington D.C. doesn't care about money; they just print whatever they need. Yeah. So I just I just don't understand why. They are so intent on this vaccination program. If what Dr. McCullough is saying, and I'm not, I have no reason to doubt him. If all that information is out here, they should have put the brakes on this vaccination program. Yeah. And, and but, said, but, at least but we're going to consider. If I can probably fall somewhere between you and Fred, although I don't know that you guys are necessarily disagreeing, is that I think once the uh, vaccination push began by the federal government then it, they were all in <laughs> you you can't go back and say well uh <laughs> now that we've told millions of people to get a shot uh by the way here are the here are the negative consequences that we're finding yeah in in some people and and uh, then people are going to go whoa people who hadn't got vaccinated are going to go well wait just a minute <laughs> and they'll never trust them again mm-hmm. yes so i think they were you know you know, 
kind of like they were the three musketeers, you know, that it's uh, one for all and all for one. We, we can't, we can't backtrack. Yeah. We can't, uh, well, then you, then you, then you lose your climate change yes, you initiatives because well, everyone's going to be saying, credibility. we, we don't believe you about anything. But I think to Fred's, to Fred's point, uh, there is now this push to, demonize as fred said or make second class citizens uh anyone who doesn't isn't pro vaccine <laughs> and uh they'll they'll look at you you know like you're uh you got three heads yeah what do you mean you haven't got a vaccine mm-hmm. what are you crazy you could die mm-hmm. i mean i've gotten that before well this could if this all we're saying is is the is the real explanation if this thing blows up it's going gonna, it's gonna to take out – it could take out the entire progressive movement because they've all been all in, on, and everything is always about follow the science, follow the science. When it comes to climate change, follow the science, Green New Deal, follow the science. All of it is about follow the science, and if this, if this thing blows up and if it becomes true that the vaccine – all the vaccines X, Y, Z – and you and and they have to backtrack. This thing is going to explode. But what is true, and I go back to what the good doctor just told us, this data is available on the CDC website. He said the FDA knows all of this. But here it, there is a political the decision. The FDA or the CDC? CDC and the FDA. He, he, had, quoted bo- both. he had both. Yeah. He had both. It is a political decision at this point by the government of the day not to tell us this other data. Yeah, they're, you're not going to have Anthony Fauci getting up there saying Go out there and, and direct people to the CDC website and say, by like, the way. You mean like Dr. McCullough did? Yes. Right. Just say, what I understood Dr. McCullough to say was he was cautioning. Yes. Against just buying. He was cautioning against buying just everything that the uh, federal government is saying, basically. Uh, and, and, uh, he, he he cited the data, yes, the research, and his and source his, and his own, huh? and his source. I that's why I asked him his source. He says, "Well, it's all available on the CDC website." But they're not allowing people to talk about that. Yes, he's this guy's getting sued. Yes, uh, purportedly because he's talking about it. Yes, he's talking about what the CDC has their on their website. This data that well, the pressure that's that's the uh, that's the. Uh, popular pressure by a lot of powerful people to shut down any discussion this is you know when when you start shutting down uh, a guy like dr mccullough from even talking mm. then you have to wonder what are they so scared of right what what what, what are the people who are hey, this guy's not a quack no he's got good night look at, his, look at his credentials yeah guy's not a, he's not a you know he's not in tijuana Right, you know. Right, uh, he he's not a. In fact, he had what did he some school named after him at Baylor or something. Well, he, he has he, a found a, found, a, a yeah, foundation, or, scholarship foundation anyway, in Baylor. Guy's not a quack. Right. So why do you want to shut him down? You know, even even if you were to say, well, no. Here's what the other side would suggest: who are against Doctor McCullough, who want to shut him down. What I get is they want to say this guy's killing people. This guy is yeah. causing people to die unnecessarily mm-hmm. because of his uh, because of his tinfoil hat view of medicine, and and uh, listen, 
this guy is, uh, and you know what, what I'm hearing too is there are a lot of doctors who in this country who don't have the credentials that doc, Dr. McCullough is like an A-lister actor. Right. Okay. He's, uh, you know, he's a, but there's a lot of B-listing. There's a lot of doctors who aren't as qualified as him to, but but their but their experience and their views are very similar to his. Yes. And, but if they say those things, they whisper it to you in the halls of the clinic. Right. But they're not going to go out there and talk openly too much about this for fear of what happened. Doctor McCullough can withstand it. Uh, yeah. In the sense that he's his accomplishments or his career are already established. Now I'm not talking about the lawsuit, but uh, you take a guy who's a doctor and he's 35 years old in a private practice, and word gets out to his uh, hospital or his peers that he's recommending something other than a vaccine, mm. then uh, his career could be over. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what you doctor, understand what I'm saying. What Dr. McCullough's uh, spiritual views are but i'm encouraging our listeners to pray for him because it's in some ways he's the tip of the spear and and i'm not saying vac. I, listen i'm not saying vaccines are bad i've had the vaccine right okay do I'm, your own research do your own research i'm just saying we need to hear this guy and uh, right. america needs to hear what he's saying because that's the only way you can make an informed decision. Well, this is the is it is this not the way it is with a lot of medical decisions that we all have to make in our own personal lives? For example, if you're if you get cancer, they tell you, "Okay, I've never had cancer, but I know, we all know people who have." They tell you, "Okay, you can take this uh uh what do you call it? chemotherapy." Mm-hmm. All right? And there's a 60% chance that the chemotherapy will affect this area. And there's a forty percent chance that it won't. There are also side effects that you need to be aware of. You right. can be you can be dehydrated and vomiting and sick as a dog uh, for a month after you get this. And so, blah, blah, blah. and then we all have to say, well, I'm going to weigh the options here. Right. I'm going to weigh the options because now I have a clear picture of the benefits of the chemotherapy, but I also have the downside of getting it potentially. It may not be as bad as they've described. And I may have a wonderful experience uh, with chemotherapy curing me of my cancer. But but when doctors on TV or in medical journals or in a radio interview give give uh, maybe one doctor would say, "Well, I'm 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 really pro uh, uh, chemotherapy." And the other guy goes, "No, I'm, I I would wait on that. I would do more uh, radiation. Radiation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't say shut the man down who said radiation." Well, yeah. did, did I understand Dr. McCullough correctly? Did he say that the vaccines that are available are ineffective against the Delta variant? Did I understand that correctly? Uh, I could not confirm that. All right. Yeah. I'm going to listen to this. Yeah. I'm going to listen to our own we podcast got, we got, again. Yeah. We got another interview. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Take Dr. a breath. An- Dr. Anthony Fauci joins us now. From, <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I knew I'd get people's blood pressure up. Now they're going to have to take their blood pressure medicine. Yes. Or they got blood pressure for the first, high blood pressure for the first time. No. Uh, we have Dr. We have a Byron Palace on with us, director of One Cry. Uh, speaking of spiritual things, as Fred was talking about this earlier, uh, Byron was on with us uh, last year. Uh, good, good morning to you, Byron. 
Well, thank you, Tim. What a joy to be with you guys and to listen in on this conversation. And uh, it's the first time I've been called Dr. Fauci. I will be. <laughs> Use it at your own risk, sir. Yeah. Well, that, makes you, that makes you real popular with our crowd uh, right there. Well, there's, there's plenty of name recognition. Yes, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hey, tell us about One Cry. Yeah, what I want to talk about is that this is Life Action Ministries, the parent organization of One Cry and Life Action uh, Church Events and Revive Our Hearts, and we're celebrating 50 years of God's faithfulness. Of um, and That's about six or seven more than AFA, I do believe. Yeah. And so we all started during the Jesus Movement era, and this is one of those organizations that continued that passion and that burden. And I was blessed. I've been here. I came for one year, and then um, uh, it's been 47 years. So I've been blessed for 31 of those years to be the CEO and president of the Entity Life Action Ministries. And hey, I want all your listeners to know how much we appreciate the partnership AFR particularly has had. You have um, uh, carried and still do short features called Seeking Him with Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth, our short feature on One Cry. I think early in the morning, later in the evening, the 30-minute daily Revive Our Hearts broadcast and help co-sponsor the Heart Cry for Revival Conference every other year. I feel like we must be operating out of the same building. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want the listeners to know this 50 years of God's goodness to allow a ministry uh, to be sustained and grow is a result of partners like AFA. Hey, do y'all still have your life action singers that travel the country? We do. We have three of those teams. They're in training now. We'll hit the road this fall. And you probably remember 1980, we toured with a program called America, You're Too Young to Die and aligned so much with the heart of you folks and ended up seeing live uh, by 4 million people. A national television special was produced with Dean Jones and David Nelson. You'd have to really be old to remember those names. And, um, and a sitting mm. president, Ronald Reagan, uh, was on that national broadcast talking about how America is too young to die and God is our only hope. In other words, a spiritual revival among God's people is the answer to nations that get blessed uh, when yeah. he is the Lord. So the Life Action Singers, by the way, Byron, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I've, I've uh, sent two CDs, <laughs> and I've made like two or three phone calls to your office there. I don't know who's handling this. You know, trying to get on with the Life Action Singers, and I, I can't get anybody to <laughs> to respond and I just have many songs that I've written, and I've been blessed with the Lord with the voice. I don't brag about it much. So <laughs> would you check on that for me and see? I'll follow see up why, on that. Just, it's, it it sounds like Life Action Ministries is really blessed with a lot of wisdom. Yeah, I would just say, <laughs> I just don't know why I don't get a call back. Uh, you know, interesting, Tim. I have, uh, They wouldn't even ask me to send an application. <laughs> and My wife sang, but they wouldn't let yeah. me sing. Hey, uh, there's Byron, reasons for that. I think. Yes, there are. <laughs> At least on Tim's on Tim's part, we know. I don't know much about your singing voice, uh, Byron. But uh, yeah. hey, I do, I do want to just uh, ask you something and, and make the point. A lot of people think that AFA and AFR is only interested in politics, and that we believe politics can save the country. Nothing can be further from the truth. We we understand that uh, only God can save us now, and that is always been the case. So tell our listeners uh, 
about why prayer is so important. So there may be people who are listening. They're Christians. They're following the Lord. They go to church. They don't have much of a prayer life because they just honestly aren't sure that prayer works. Maybe it doesn't work in their life when they pray for this or that. Why is prayer so instrumental to what we all hope and pray for is a move of God in this country? Why is prayer so critical? Well, thanks for asking that question. Let me preface it by saying the real transformative years and seasons in the history of our nation, and you guys teach this, is through the Great Awakenings uh, that we remember, the first Great Awakening with Whitfield and Edwards, and then the second Great Awakening that changed Ivy League to the rough and rowdy in in Kentucky and Tennessee back then. uh, The worst parts of our nation were radically transformed. And the third prayer awakening that began in New York City, and then and real punctuated with various uh, uh, lesser movements, but significant like the Jesus movement and so forth. But um, the reason I mentioned that at the outset, we stop and think that one-fifth or sixth of our population came to Christ in the wake of the First Great Awakening, and we were to extrapolate that today, that's like 70 million people that would come to Christ in a very brief period of time, a year or two or three, would that change our culture? And so we believe revival begins with God's people, as it says in the Word, and it results in spiritual awakenings. The lost are converted, and then that is the greatest force for culture transformation. So why is prayer critical? It's because every revival in the history of the world has either been given birth to, cradled, or nurtured in prayer. You can trace them back to a prayer meeting to a group of people, the National Prayer Accord in the First Great Awakening yep. that mobilized the church to pray for God hey, to begin a work in belief. Hey, Byron, what's the website you would point people to for more who want to? Yeah, let me give you two. Uh, if you go to, actually, if you just go to Life Action Ministries, all three of those words, don't uh, shorten it, .org, you'll get the parent organization that leads you to revive our hearts to one cry what's and a, to life What's action. the website but, again, quickly? LifeActionMinistries.org. Hey, thank you, Byron. Appreciate it, my friend. All right, we'll be back momentarily. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.